0: Ladies and gentlemen, it is that time yet again, broadcasting almost live from a Malibu tan in Honolulu, it's Tavern Voices, the first and only podcast dedicated to unfiltered North Carolina news. I'm your host, Kevin King, and with me, as always, is our other host and talk radio aficionado, Tyler Crawley. How goes it? It's
1: good. It's Monday. It's gorgeous down here in Wilmington. It's like mid-70s, so.
0: Yeah, it's the same way here in the Triangle. Yeah. beautiful weather. I know Got the it's windows nice. open the fans going can't beat it.
1: I thought it was going to be I thought we reached that point where because it hit it hit down here in the mid 80s last week and I thought, yep, hey, here we go. Now that's it. It's going to be 80s. and It's just gonna get hotter and hotter until September and it'll start going the other way. But now it's supposed to be 70s this week. So I am pumped. I am very happy about this And one thing I am not pumped about Or I don't even know how you would reference this Or describe this But we all know that there's a ton of people running In the ninth Congressional District I don't think it's as many as the 3rd But there's a lot running in the ninth. That of course is the uh, famous district That got all the attention earlier this year And the end of last year With Mark Harris And uh, uh, Dan McCready And the absentee ballots With McCray Dallas and all that And just to add a little bit more craziness to this uh, already insane trash garbage can fire, uh, Chris Anglin, who is the non-Republican Republican Republican who, of course, ran for the Supreme Court, split the vote and uh, helped Anita Earls get on the uh, North Carolina Supreme Court, he filed. To run in this race. And there's big it's a big deal because, as I mentioned, Chris Englund not really thought of as being a Republican. He's been a Democrat his whole life, switched at the last minute to run for Supreme Court. And now he is running in the ninth district. And apparently the Republicans refuse to give him uh, information they normally give to other candidates, such as, you know, voter information. And he's not being invited to any of the candidates' forums because no one in the Republican Party thinks he's a Republican. And we can have that debate. But I just want to point out, this is the whole reason I bring this up, is that Jim Morrill over at the News and Observer refers to him as an anti-Trump Republican. And that really just kind of drives me crazy because if you ever listen to him talk, if you've ever read anything that he's written and talked about this race, he's not anti-Trump. He's anti-Republican. Republican. I mean, it's not just anti-Trump. He doesn't seem to like any Republicans, any aspect of the Republican Party. And it drives me crazy that they're calling him an anti-Trump Republican because the reality is, is that, you know, people kind of like myself who are anti-Trump Republicans. You know, ours is based on the idea that we like Republican values. We just don't like Donald Trump. He doesn't like Republicans. And referring to him anti-Trump Republican, I think, is is upsets someone like myself Uh, And so, Kevin, what how would you describe Chris Anglin if you were asked to put him in a headline?
0: Well, I I like your analysis of the anti-Republican Republican, -Republican, right? I mean, that's essentially the core of what it is, what he is. He ran to be a spoiler and he beat the Republicans at their own game. Yeah, right. I mean, that's true. He did. He put the now in the coffin of the uh, Barbara Jackson campaign and the the hope of a Republican majority on the North Carolina Supreme Court. He ended all of that with his little charade, if you'll call it that. And um, yeah, so that's that's what he, he should be. The the game spoiler. Right. He was the boss that they couldn't beat in the game. And he he, he took it to the Republicans. Nothing else really to say about it. Well, that
1: that is true. He did. You know, he took advantage of a loophole the Republicans created that they were hoping the Democrats were going to uh, exploit, but not in a good way, that they were going to end up tripping over themselves and actually ended up tripping the Republicans up. And the Republicans are totally to blame for that. But what is, you know, really kind of bizarre to me um, about Chris Anglin, I've never been able to understand, is what is he going to get out of this? because a lot of people would say oh he's doing this at the you know at the, at the behest of the uh, democrats and they're going to pay him off but how i mean there's no way they can appoint him to anything because i mean imagine if you're a democrat and you're up for an appointment and said they appoint this guy who's a republican and someone who's you know been supposedly uh, on the other side and so it just seems to me that he's hurt himself because he can't run he's never going to win as a republican And the Democrats are going to have a hard time justifying any appointments or any time he runs. I just don't see what he gets out of this other than him just – I don't know. Maybe he's just like a human form of a Twitter troll and him just trolling people is all that he really cares about. Maybe that's possible, but I don't see the Democrats ever being able to pay him back for what he's doing right now.
0: Well, I mean part of it is, I'm sure – Who wouldn't want their name on the ballot? Right. So now he gets to go around. He gets to campaign. He's got other people paying for his expenses. He's got donations coming in. He's Mr. Popularity. Um, And I still believe that there is this, um, you know, this kind of cabal in both parties that takes care of some of these odd characters where they never really have to have a real job. You know, Tyler, we've known those people who are either <laughs> consultants or candidates uh, on and on and on, and they never have to actually earn, an, in a live, earn a living. They just jump from campaign to campaign or run for race to race. And so maybe this guy has just gotten in that inner circle. They say, you go out there and be our, our front man, and you're going to be hired on as a consultant for some company, um, you know, that's going to get kickbacks from, you know, either either the the Republican, uh, leaders or, or governor Cooper or something like that. Right. I mean, that, that's what everybody gets infuriated about politics is that there is this backdoor money, shady stuff that's always going on, uh, friends getting appointed to this or that. Um, so whether he's, you know, he's probably not going to get some official title. He's not going to be a department head, uh, appointed under uh, Cooper, although he might, who knows, but it's probably just, um, to quote dire straits You know he gets his money For nothing And his chicks for free
1: <laughs> Well what's weird Is that he doesn't He's not raising any money So I You know maybe you're right Maybe there is someone Who's got like a seat Waiting for him somewhere But he, he hasn't He didn't even He didn't even raise enough money For federal filing requirements um, So yeah I don't know Maybe but then Then maybe he's just Like a fame whore uh, Maybe he just likes His name being in headlines And he likes being talked about I, I got a friend of mine Who graduated from Elon Law School And I think I think he was in the class because I actually saw the newsletter that they send out to Elon alum and it actually had mentioned, uh, they're like, Oh, Elon alum, Chris Anglin is, is running for the Supreme court. Ooh. And so, you know what, maybe he gets off on that stuff. Maybe that's, that's the whole reason he likes his name being in lights. And so what? instead of, you know, working hard and you know the easiest way to get attention and to get fame is to run for office.
0: And isn't um, – so he's an attorney, right? Wasn't it the big deal when he was running for Supreme Court is that he had very very little, if any, actual trial experience?
1: Well, I mean the big thing that was was that he had a Democrat running his campaign. A Democrat was his attorney. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so I mean aside, of, yeah.
0: aside from the political part, I just meant his experience, right? He didn't actually have experience to be a judge, much less a Supreme Court judge, right?
1: Yeah. I don't know what his experience was. I mean, I think he just, I think he just does kind of like what most attorneys his age do, which is, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're sort of in that middle part of their career where they do, you know, a lot of probably, you know, lower level stuff. They've probably, you know, never had like a big case. They haven't argued in front of the Supreme court or anything crazy like that, but he probably does a lot of local stuff helps, you know, probably, you know, DUIs and people that have, you know, tickets and, and uh you know dealing i don't know what i don't know what kind of law he does but it wasn't you know i I never heard that he had never been in a courtroom but yeah i mean he definitely wasn't someone you would think of when you look at like other young judges uh in this state and some of the things they've accomplished when they run for judge yeah i mean his his resume was was very lacking um in that aspect i think
0: i think what they call that is billable hours yeah in a law firm (laughs) that's that's all he is he is billable hours um for the partners um so yeah, I mean that's all it is, and and of course Jim Morrell writing this piece is what drive. I mean this is what fuels the Trump media, you know, as you said earlier, garbage fire, dumpster fire, um, that constantly goes on. Is Trump attacks the media and the media fires back by doing something like this, by trying to tie this guy by saying, well, if this guy isn't supported by the Republicans, it's because the Republicans are lockstep with Trump, uh, ipso facto. All Republicans are awful human beings, right? That's the point of publishing a line like that. And I know that sounds like an oversimplification oversimplification, or an exaggeration, but that's the mentality. And that's what drives people like you and me crazy who try to defend the media. And at the same time, they just keep stepping on their own feet.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to refer to him as like, his like only qualified or the people would know him as an anti-Trump Republican is uh, just kind of ridiculous.
0: Yeah, no, it really is. And, and so something else that has come out now, and every two years we get to do the, the fun budget game here in North Carolina. So odd years are the what they call the long session. So that's when the big biennial budget comes out. Um, and so that's being discussed. It started in the House this year. They always alternate. So in 17, it started in the Senate this year it starts in the House, which they're both Republican controlled again. Uh, but yet there's there's a lot of differences between the two houses and what's going to be done. And of course, no matter what they do, Governor Cooper is going to veto it. But that aside, the 2019 budget is out in the light of day. And while a lot of these provisions that are in there probably won't make it through the final cut, I did want to talk about a few highlights um, and have you and I discuss them, Tyler, if you're if you're open to that concept. Um The first idea that I am actually a huge fan of is the concept of transferring school supply funds from school districts to the teachers themselves. Another that I'm not quite as huge a fan of is a new 7% tax on ride sharing like Uber and Lyft. And then the last one that I want to mention, which I'm sure we are going to talk about at length later on in the second half of this podcast, when we talk about uh, the teacher protest is a provision that would prevent teachers from being able to protest and take an entire day off on a school day, so Tyler, what are your thoughts on uh, these three different pieces or anything else that you've seen uh, show up in the in the budget this year?
1: Well, I like the supply one as well. Getting you know supplies directly to the teachers, they're going to know better how to spend it. I mean, that's just the way that you go. I approach politics, government, everything. The closer you are to the source, the better off. So, someone who actually is deciding what they should do for their classroom, giving them the money versus a bureaucrat at the school or a bureaucrat who's in charge of many schools. It's it, they have no idea. I mean, they just can't, there's no way. And so the best way yeah. to figure out what each classroom needs is to talk to the teacher in that classroom. And that's the best yeah. way to do it.
0: Yeah. And one other aspect of this that I think is the true motive, if you will, behind it, not only is it more practical, like you pointed out and, and probably will serve the kids better. But a lot of this fight between the teachers and the state over the last several years attacking the Republicans uh, is a lack of transparency in how the money is being handled. So what happened is that the General Assembly has been kind of hands off and say, we send the money to the school districts and we allot for them X amount of money for, say, teacher assistance. That was the big uh, fight several years ago. And the X amount of dollars for uh, the support teachers, you know, so like PE and art and things like that. Uh, School supplies is another great one. And what happens is this money goes to the districts and they use it for things that it's not meant to be used for. And then when they go, why did you cut these two teacher assistant positions? And they say, well, you need to to call Raleigh that they did it. They did it. And so it becomes this big he said, she said. And so I think ultimately what has got to happen and what you've seen happen over the last couple of years is the legislature is taking a much more hands-on approach and saying, okay, if we fund expositions, this is going to come as a directive from the state, and I think this is going to be another step in that right direction by saying, "All right, you aren't seeing the money we're sending you. We're going to send it directly to you and skip over your superintendents."
1: Yeah, and I think that's 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 the right move because they may need it. I mean, most of the times they are, but there could be a situation where you know what, maybe they don't, and they could you know pass it off, and and so it it it's that's always the better way to go. The, the closer you are to the people that are actually on the ground. Uh, the better off you're going to be. Now, the Uber fee is an interesting one because I'm not really sure I understand why they're doing it. I mean, first of all, hats off to the General Assembly because they're the ones that saved Uber for places like Wilmington. Wilmington at the time when Uber first was emerging was debating whether or not they were going to do what other cities have done around the around the country and globe where they have denied Uber access to a certain market. And for those who don't know, Wilmington doesn't work much different than other places where they would artificially restrict the number of cabs that can exist in, say, downtown Wilmington. I think the number is 100. And that way they controlled it and they, you know, created artificial demand. And it just was a horrible idea because I think it led to a, uh, you know, a, a big deficit <laughs> with regards to taxis when bars would let out at 2 a.m. Uh, it would raise the prices because they had to buy, you know, permits for the cabs. And what, basically what happens in, say, New York, but at a much lesser kind of degree, you don't have the insane value of the taxi medallions. And so they were, you know, they were thinking about it. And then the General Assembly came in and saved the day and said, no, nope, can't do that. And so Uber, I think, has I mean, l- literally saved lives in Wilmington because it's an option for people. So I'm not sure I get the Uber fee. I'm not sure now why they're trying to do something that would actually hinder ride sharing. Um, it seems to go against what they did a couple of years ago. And we've all seen the benefits of that. So why they would do anything to hurt that, I am I don't get. I'm confused by it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think this is one of those situations where you scratch your head going, which Republicans are these again? Right. I mean, this is a specialized tax. I mean, that's a double whammy. It's going against essentially singling someone out or I guess reverse cronyism. Um, and it's a new tax. What? Why are they adding taxes? Now I understand restructuring things. But I mean, Uber and Lyft drivers are already paying gas tax like everyone else. So and this is this would be a seven percent basically corporate tax on these companies on their gross receipts for the year. Um, And, you know, that's going to get passed down to the drivers. So they're they're only going to hurt these, you know, these individuals. And I'm I'm assuming there's not going to be a seven percent tax on taxi companies.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, they already pay a fee. We already know that because of the fact that they have. Um, you, have, you have to get the permit to have a cab. And so they already paid that. And so maybe this is a way to level the playing field. But the best way to level the playing field would be to encourage cities to move their permits for taxis and let anyone that wants to have a taxi have a taxi, not penalize Uber. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, now, I will say this, and I, I don't know if it's public knowledge or not. I mean, I guess it is. The guy drives for Uber. But there's a guy at Wrightsville Beach, uh, the mayor. Of Beach, I guess he's still the mayor. I, actually, I don't pay attention to Wrightsville Beach politics enough. Um, who actually is an Uber driver and he drives around in his Tesla and picks people up, <laughs> so he doesn't pay a gas tax. But other than that, you're right. Ninety nine point nine percent of people do, in fact, pay <laughs> a gas tax.
0: And it seems like they, I mean, they're going to use much more gas than the average person because they're driving around all day. Yeah. So they're probably filling up every couple of days depending on the amount of rides. They're doing a public
1: service in a way. I mean, when I say they literally save lives, they literally save lives. I mean, there are studies that have done that have shown that DUI arrests have dropped since Uber. And uh, uh, driving while intoxicated car crashes have dropped since Uber. And sure, maybe it's a coincidence, but this does tend to happen in places that get Uber – especially places where there was was an artificial restriction on available cabs before Uber got in. Places where there were no restrictions probably isn't as big of an impact, just maybe it saves people some money. But, I mean, legitimately, as someone in my younger days who used to go out downtown Wilmington and at 2 o'clock the bars would let out and everyone would flood the streets and you couldn't find a cab. And so people would go, well, you know what, I'm okay, I'll drive. And then they get into a car accident. Because why? Not because they wanted to initially, but because they couldn't find a cab. And so – um, this is a good thing. We should be encouraging this, not discouraging it. So not only is it good for the free market, not only is it good for Wellington, but it's good for everyone because it's actually saving lives. I mean, I can't stress that enough. Why they would discourage this, I have no
0: idea. Yeah, in fact, you know, to further say that this is going to save lives is I think the next big thing is going to be medical Ubers, right? I'm I'm kind of yeah, waiting on that. So, that. I'm like, yeah.
1: Well, there was someone that tweeted the other day that if they get hurt, that they should um, someone call an Uber, not an ambulance, because I don't have $5,000 or whatever it costs to ride an ambulance. I mean, and we could see that. You're right. I mean, we could see you know ambulances that are cheaper than the traditional ambulance that's available for people out there if they need it. Uh, And then uh, the teacher's march you mentioned, and stopping teachers from marching, absolutely 100%. This teacher's march is not a teacher's march. It is a strike. By every definition, it is a strike. They are you know, skipping school, shutting it down for the purposes of airing their grievances. This is a strike. It is not allowed, and they shouldn't be doing it in the first place. And so stopping them from striking, absolutely, I 100% support, because they're not supposed to be doing it in the first place.
0: Isn't it funny how the media attention, once again, is so slanted? I saw where one headline today was saying something to the effect that – Um, laws were inhibiting uh, unions for the last 60 years in the state of North Carolina. Like, wait wait a minute. So you're automatically saying the union is on the right side of this, that these laws have no other benefit, um, you know, right to work and and the other benefits that have come from that system for employees and employers. Um, And so you are exactly right. Right now you have a strike and it's coming up on Wednesday. So by the time people are listening to this, probably tomorrow, right? And two years in a row, and it seems the message is getting lost, Tyler. Have you gotten that feel that I've seen a lot of stuff post on Twitter where now they have all of these other grievances, as you put it, that have nothing to do with education, right?
1: Yeah, they're protesting Medicaid expansion, and they want it. I mean, they want Medicaid expansion. Uh, they want pay raises for School administrators, because if there's anyone that needs a pay raise, it's the uh, school administrator that's not, you know, doing anything. <laughs> yeah, it's weird to see teachers are. I mean, they are doing something, but they already make pretty good money. The idea that we need to get them a five percent raise is is kind of ridiculous. And I've also heard that there's going to be more than just teachers there. They're inviting like other groups that should be unionized to also protest. So I don't know what they're doing, but I think that it's so, there was actually an article in the Star News about how this might be kind of backfiring on them. And I feel like due to the fact that there's less, uh, you know, I think last year, 45 school districts closed down this year. We're looking at, uh, I think 30 something. So the numbers dropped. So it's, it's losing popularity. And the fact that it's going to be somewhat kind of mixed in with other groups, I, I don't know what they're doing. I mean, and the reality is, is because they're not, they can't protest higher salaries because they have some of the highest if not the highest in the Southeast, they're almost at the national average. Uh, If you look at the actual data that was released recently by the uh, state superintendent has a new website out. I mean, the average teacher makes like 40% more than the average household income in North Carolina. So it's, it's just, I don't know. I mean, I just, I feel like, they're losing people are sort of kind of looking at these numbers that are being released just to, you know, how much they're making and then what the benefits they get and all this other stuff. And everyone's going, Whoa, whoa, whoa they get what? Hold on. And wait, I don't get that. And people, I think are kind of like, Hey, you know what I was with you guys, but you guys seem to be doing pretty well. Now you're advocating for Medicaid expansion and, you know, pay raises for administrators. Like, I think they've lost their sort of their way a little bit. and, I don't know. I don't know if there'll be one next year, regardless of whether this law passes or not.
0: Oh, I think there will be one as long as the Republicans are in charge. I mean, you have you've had several of these groups um, that have been protesting consistently at the General Assembly just to be a thorn in the Republican side. Right. You did have now I will give credit when Cooper first when it came about his whole entanglement in the Atlantic Coast Pipeline. You did have a group of environmentalists in his base that protested him. So I give them props for being, you know, true to their ideology. But as a whole, you've had this moral Monday uh, and the different faces it has taken. And I think this teacher protest is spurred on by the same group of people. Um, it, it's it's kind of creepy how it has taken on this this mayday red shirt communism type thing I think is really strange. I think that may be where a lot of people. Are, are losing it a little bit um, because if you start with the true nature of saying we would like to make more money or something let's be reasonable and come and speak to the legislators and and be in that process I think you would get a lot more respect I think people are getting tired of protest in general and let's face it whether you like it or not which you and I aren't big fans but we live in in the Trump America right people I don't I don't think these things are working like they used to it's more us versus them let's just throw all the cards on the table and um, and be done with it. So I I don't think you win people over with these sorts of events.
1: Well, plus, let's also not forget, and I don't have the quote in front of me, but there was a famous letter that FDR wrote back during the formation of the New Deal and the implementation. And he wrote a letter saying that government employees cannot unionize. Government employees cannot collectively bargain. It is. The antithesis of the entire process, if the government gets involved, and he said it's because of the complicated nature of government employees, because government employees are negotiating with the the other government workers. You know, the way private unions work is you have the employees negotiating with their employers, which is their bosses, the people that own the company, the people that set the wages and hire and fire and do all of these things. But they also are the ones that have skin in the game public employees cannot unionize or collective bargain or anything else because they are not negotiating with the employer. We're the employer. The taxpayers are. True politicians kind of fill that role and represent us, but they don't have skin in the game. It's not their money. I mean, it is, they pay taxes, but you're basically, it's employee and employee and it changes the entire dynamic. And so when they protest and they say, you know what, the other government employees aren't giving us what we deserve. So they strike then we all get affected and we have no say in the matter because it's other you – know, and so it's so much more complicated. And he said government employees cannot unionize and collect a bargain. And it's so funny how Democrats just conveniently forget that. The guy who was probably the most – one of the biggest supporters of all of these you know, social – not socialist but these welfare policies said government employees can't do this. And nowadays, that's all we have. I mean, the only unions that really exist in any strength are government ones. Why? Because they're the only ones that can exist because it doesn't make sense in the private sector anymore. So it it drives me crazy that the left who loves FDR just conveniently ignores the fact that he made it very clear that government employees cannot benefit from unionizing or collective bargaining. And yet that's almost all that exists today.
0: You have just blown my mind, Tyler. Yeah, it happens. I've sometimes. never <laughs> thought about it in that capacity. Because you're right. It, in any sort of collective bargaining provision, let's say that they said we want a thousand dollar across the board pay raise, and that gets passed. Um, that would be like your boss at say the radio station just giving you a raise, regardless of what the owner said. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I mean wow. it's it's a total conflict. And that's why and FDR understood that. I mean, FDR pointed out that no, that government employees cannot unionize because it's not a it's and, and actually interestingly enough, um, that is actually one of the points that's made by I can't remember which which association it was, that did not support the teachers in this march because they said, or was it legislation because they were arguing that most of the grievances are aired with local school boards. And local school school boards do not set the budget. That's set by the county uh, or mandates from the General Assembly. And so when they make these arguments and 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 and, and, and or they, they want to have union rights and they want to collect a bargain, it makes it even more difficult because you're essentially negotiating with someone that has no power to actually do anything because the, the school boards do not set the budget. So they can't actually negotiate – with the future union of teachers so that complicates matters even more and yet this is totally lost on most of the teachers protesters
0: yeah and i mean this really goes to the core of the issue with the public sector and that it acts outside of the markets it either creates its own market or ignores market forces um, and that's where you i mean you don't know what a teacher is worth no one does I mean that's why they compare them to other states, but then there are so many other factors such as cost of living um, and other – I mean variables such as inner city schools versus rural schools versus suburban schools, so on and so forth. So there's really no way to compare them, and it's not a true market, so you don't know what the the proper wages and benefits and things like that should be, and you don't know that about anything in the public sector – Right, I mean the same thing is about garbage collectors because you're forcing everyone to buy garbage collection that lives in a city or county. So you're creating a market that you're forcing people into, and then you arbitrarily decide based on whatever factors that those people choose to, you know, base a salary on, and then it, it, it's it's a self fulfilling cycle where then you have to keep feeding the beast more and more. Well, and there's also this, yeah, I mean it it, it is very difficult
1: to determine how much a public. Uh, or how much a government employee is worth if there's no private sector counterpart. But even if there is, you still can't make the comparison because there's so many other factors that go into it. And they'll say that like, oh, well, it's hard to keep you know this person because you know this person makes this amount of money in the private sector. Well, yeah, but what are the hours that they're working? Do they have benefits? And usually you don't know. So they just say, oh, well, salary to salary. Well, you can't make that. That's not apples to apples. That's apples to oranges. You can't do it. Um, yeah. And in other cases that what tends to happen is that one city brings a consultant in and they go, hey, your salaries are too low. You have to raise them up. So let's say Wilmington raises our salaries for you know teachers or whatever it may be. We increase the supplement. And then Asheville hires a consultant. They go, oh, well, Wilmington just raised their salaries. And so you better be careful because teachers are going to leave here and they're going to go to Wilmington. So then Asheville raises their salaries and then Raleigh hires a consultant. They go, oh, Wilmington and Asheville have just raised theirs. And you guys can't be on par with those places because the cost of living in Raleigh is way more expensive. So then they raise theirs and then you go back to Wilmington again and Wilmington goes, oh, Raleigh's raised theirs. And so it's – you're not comparing it. To anything in the market, you're just comparing it to other places who are doing exactly what they're doing, the self-fulfilling prophecies, you know, or, or cycle, I should say, as, as you mentioned. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's the biggest problem. It's either an apples to oranges comparison, or you're comparing yourself to another city who's probably hired the exact same accountant and told them the exact same thing. And they probably get paid based on how big. <laughs> it's probably not, but it's in their best interest. I mean, if you're a teacher's union or or a a government, uh, uh, whoever manager and you hire a consulting firm and they come in and go, Oh yeah, everything's fine. Your salaries are totally market level. Everything's great. You're probably not going to hire them again. So (laughs) if they come in and say, yeah, you should raise your salaries, you're going to get hired by other government managers. And so it's, it's just very perverse incentives that exist with government salaries.
0: Yeah. We saw this happen in North Carolina back in the late two thousands. Um, maybe it was mid 2000, somewhere in that range with, um, the UNC system, they adjusted salaries because uh, someone studied and found that UNC system professors were making less than other school districts, um, in other States. And so they bumped up all the prices, jacking up tuition and fees and all that. So there was a big spike, I think in 2006 or something like that. Um, And, and yeah, that's, that's what you see is just this constant, uh, the cat chasing its tail. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, exactly. And let's also
1: forget that remember they raised salaries so much. It caused the uh, Democrats to, uh, oh wait, not raise salaries. That's right. Before they left office, they actually cut teacher salaries. Which another thing Democrats seem to have forgotten when the Democrats were in charge due to their mismanagement and Beverly Purdue's absolute incompetence, not to mention her predecessors' incompetence and in everyone surrounding him. They had to cut salaries in the middle of a recession because they had no money that was saved up, contrary to Republicans who have a $2 billion surplus trust fund. But yeah, once again, conveniently forgotten by those marching uh, in Raleigh on
0: Wednesday. Well, you just wrap the whole show up in 10 seconds, man. That's what how I else roll, can man. can say on that?
1: Hey, commercial break's coming up. You got to wrap it up. That's how I do it.
0: <laughs> All right, man. Well, I, I, is there an, I think maybe the only other thing we need to talk about is is the Canes are in the second round of the playoffs, which is kind of cool. Anytime North Carolina team can can represent a little bit. But that I think that's about the only statewide news I can think of that's left.
1: Yeah, and it's hockey, too. So I don't even know if it even counts. Is hockey still a sport? Or is it like a hobby or I don't even know.
0: It's, it's definitely a sport. It looks pretty physically taxing. i watched the, uh, the only game I've watched all year was uh, yesterday and um, it was a doozy. It was actually pretty interesting to watch. No, I mean that
1: that capitals game I heard was quite, was quite impressive. Even the one before it with the uh, supposed questionable call and the ejection of one of the capitals players. And so, yeah, I mean, I I definitely heard it was, it was great. I just always think it's funny that like the capital, that the, um, that the you know hockey finals are like on the outdoor network, <laughs> like it's not even on like one the sport. It's like on the outdoor you know whatever network and and but you know it goes it goes to show that's the only sport that North Carolina seems to do well in is the sport that doesn't even get basic cable. <laughs>
0: unfortunately, No, you're, you're right. I don't even think the uh, the Panthers or the Hornets are going to do anything for us anytime soon. I know so. we
1: got we got one thing we got is our colleges and this year wasn't that great so.
0: That's true. Thanks for making this depressing. We should have ended after your rant <laughs> on Democrat incompetence. Well,
1: arguably we can, but it's not like this is live. So you can just go back and cut all that out and just end with rainbows and sunshine. If you want,
0: we could, we could, this might be called rainbows and sunshine at this point because that's pretty much our narrative. So, um, last week we, we missed a week. It was totally my fault, but let's try to do it again next week and start the streak all over again. All right, what man, do you say? I'm down. All right. See you then.